Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, February 9, 2018, and this is the 1, 2, 3, 4, I declare a trade war edition. I come up with the second. <laughs> with me today, my fellow legislator. We've got some hold music from Paul Simons. My it's fellow not hold music. It's the music from Ken Burns' documentary, The Civil War. I haven't seen it. You've never seen? Mm-mm. Oh my gosh. This is like All a right. weekly thing where you guys mention some kind of classic film or book or Last documentary time it was all the series. Man. And I just have never seen them. I'm not good at popular culture. This is my pre my pre um, good stuff from the gallery. Everybody should watch Ken Burns the Civil War. They just should. <laughs> okay. Sorry. Sorry, Paula. <laughs> Hi Claire. Hey. I have watched it, so I'm off the hook. <laughs> Paula Simons. I'm back from my vacation and all, you know, relaxed and happy. And you got to see your daughter. Got to see my daughter. I did not drink any BC wine. (laughs) But you don't drink wine at all, do you? Rarely. Well, definitely not now, though. No. And Graham Thompson? I stick to Alberta wine myself. I thought it was wonderful. (laughs) I thought it was wonderful. Emma just cringed. One of of the MLAs was a Jessica Littlewood who was tweeting yesterday, hey, we should all drink rhubarb wine from this winery in my my riding. That's a terrible (laughs) idea and nobody should do it. (laughs) No, some fruit wine's okay. I've had some decent stuff at the farmer's market every now and again. Graham, don't raise one eyebrow at me. It can be done. (laughs) So anyway, guys, today we're going to be talking about the, uh, of course, the trade war with BC. The pipeline kerfuffle, the wine boycott. There's one thing I like to talk about, it's wine, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and then we're going we're gonna to talk about as well Derek Fildebrand and Jason Kenney and that whole kerfuffle because that all happened last week after we wrapped up recording the podcast and then it kind of developed into more this week. So, hey oh, perfect. Let's start off with the trade war, seeing as that was, I would say, the biggest thing that happened this week, Claire, don't you think? Definitely. Um, we had a plethora of coverage on it. You can read all the wonderful articles about wine and what the relationship of BC Wine to Alberta is on the website. Mm. Um, but basically, yes, Premier Rachel Notley uh, called for a boycott on importing BC wines and also asked that Albertans kind of take it upon themselves to stop drinking BC wine. So um, what we know is that there are some stockpiled mm-hmm. in a warehouse, but within <laughs> within 30 to 35 days, we will run out of BC wines in the province. Right. And, and, and to be clear here, I mean, she's not just calling for consumers to boycott. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, she's the... Yeah, she's, AGLT she's, has she's, stopped yeah, yeah, importing Yeah, the wine, Alberta yeah. government has, which brings in your booze, uh, is stopping you from getting that particular booze for political reasons. Yes. Unless you drive to BC and sneak... Way yeah. across the border. Yeah, they're they're not yet t- searching your luggage. Oh, she, no, the thing is, though, she's kind of like hinting or suggesting they may start, you know, cracking down on people who bring trucks across the border with you know, full, full of wine. Oh, like, yeah. the, the black market in uh, in BC wine. I want to point out that what's interesting though is that there is still the direct to door option to buy BC wines in Alberta. Of course. So now this was all in response to last week's. I guess announcement or decision or you know Press idea yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Threat, basically, threat, threat, yeah. But by BC, BC Premier John Horgan. That now, Graham, talk us through what happened. Yeah, so he's saying that um, they're worried about um, you know the effects of a catastrophic spill of bitumen. 
Dilute, uh, diluted bitumen, bitumen in particular. Yeah, into a water, like the coast, whatever. So they're saying they're looking at uh, doing more investigations into that and maybe limiting the amount of diluted bitumen Alberta can ship through pipelines to the West Coast. Which, which, which is actually, this is actually a way, in the name Dilbit. I love it. This is actually a way of Oregon, once again, trying to use a tool to, to delay or stop the expansion of the Kinder Morgan pipeline. Of course, he's been saying for some time he'll use every tool in the box to stop that pipeline, and this is seen as another, like a monkey wrench he's trying to basically kneecap Alberta with. So Alberta immediately got upset and said, "This is you can't do this because only the federal government can regulate what goes through pipelines, not the provincial government. And then you've got Notley saying, this is not a fight between Alberta and B.C. It's really B.C. against the rest of the country, and she wants... Trudeau to get involved and and really uh, put the screws or a monkey wrench to BC. Now, in a sense, the Premier is escalating this deliberately to get uh, the attention of the federal government, to get them involved, to to force Horgan to back down. The thing is, Horgan hasn't actually done anything. He he hasn't passed any laws. He's just talking about it. He put out a press release (laughs) saying, this is is what we're thinking we're going to do. Right. So, you know, we we can't go to court and fight them. There's nothing we've actually done, except this is a signal to investors, a signal to Kinder Morgan, don't go ahead with this pipeline. We may find a way of stopping you. So this is a major problem politically, economically for the Alberta government. And, of course, the problem for Mr. Horgan is that he has a government that's balanced on the head of a pin, and he relies on yeah. the support of the Green Party MLAs. Three to, of them. That, that's yeah. it. And, you know, and that's the balance of power in B.C. So if Horgan does something that convinces the Greens to... I don't know why. I mean, the Greens wouldn't obviously vote for the Liberals, who are the Conservatives in BC, just to keep us all straight. <laughs> um, you know, but if the Greens go off in a huff and and leave his government high and dry, then the Liberals take over, which, if you think about it, would be really stupid on the part of the Greens because the Liberals uh, have been much more welcoming, although not wholly welcoming, of the pipeline. So, why? I mean, they would be cutting off their noses despite their faces, but nonetheless, um, you know, Horgan is in a position where he needs to at least posture that he's doing everything he can uh, or to fight this say, pipeline. Not that I kept saying at a news conference to cut oh, off yeah. his face to spite his <laughs> nose. Did it twice. So yes, I mean what I'm saying. Okay, fine. Um, when this was announced... And sorry, just going back yeah. to Horgan, the thing about the Greens, and you're right, the Greens are the tail wagging the dog. So what Horgan's done, he approved the Site C um, the, the, the big project to build this big uh, hydroelectric uh, project. The Greens don't want that. He did it. He went to Asia to try and sell more liquefied natural gas to China. The Greens didn't like that. So he has to prove, yeah, that he's actually an environmentalist, and the best thing to do is try and stop the Kinder Morgan pipeline, which actually costs him nothing. Right, and it, it should be said, too, that when we're talking about trade sanctions such as they are, um, what Notley announced before the wine boycott was, I guess, last week. You talked about this when I wasn't here, uh, uh, that they're not going to buy any Site C electricity. Not Site C. She said uh, uh, inter between yeah. the yeah. provinces. But, yeah, yeah, but still, yeah, it's, it's a way of uh, – he's talking about not buying up to half a billion dollars worth of power from B.C. People went, yay, good for you. The thing is, um, we actually – we're selling more power to BC <laughs> in the last few years than they've been buying from BC. But I guess that's the point, right? <laughs> that if they brought Site C online, they would need a market for all the electricity that the Site C hydro dam will produce. Right. And so we're preemptively saying, it, you know, we're 
not going to buy electricity from the dam that you have. Which yet. actually <laughs> may actually then increase the price of power in Alberta. So, when this was announced on, it was Tuesday, I believe, that uh, Rachel Notley had this press conference, I was in the, uh, in as I usually am, like a giant nerd, sitting in the front row of the press conference, you know, live tweeting what was happening. And when she mentioned wine boycott, I honestly started giggling because there's something so Canadian about this. <laughs> it's the cutest boycott I've ever heard of. It's adorable. Canada, stop it. And so many great puns. Grapes of oh, wrath. Yeah. Sour grapes. You bet Shiraz she did. Oh, I love that. The War of the Rosés. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's just pandemonium in here. Yeah. (laughs) But it was. It was something. There's something so terrifically, adorably Canadian and cute about it. And, I mean, this comes back to Canada. Not if you're actually a wine producer. No. But, I mean, this is why the provincial restrictions on wine and beer and liquor is ridiculous. It's just another example of why they should get rid of it. And but that's there, a whole other topic. And there's been, you know, a lot of div- I think there has been a mixed response from Albertans on what they think of this boycott but when you're talking to, like I've talked to retailers who have been really in support of it and have said they've had customers in support of the boycott but I've also talked to a few wine retailers who, um, who've who said to me, you know, I actually most of my wine isn't from BC it doesn't affect my bottom line but I'm really worried about how far this is going to go um, is this going to kind of create continuous kind of escalations in trade? Are we going to be cut off from the port of Vancouver? Like that was a legitimate question someone asked. That, well, I think we should know. stop importing wine from Saskatchewan right now too. <laughs> We're still mad at them. No, no, Saskatchewan's <laughs> on side with us now. I know that Scott Mull came Scott out like, Isn't that interesting? Because we're not fighting a two-front war. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're... Well, because they need the pipelines, too. Yeah. Yes. Saskatchewan's that export. But, Scott you know, Moe doesn't... He, Scott Moe, the new Saskatchewan Premier, though, he does not like this wine boycott. And nor does uh, Palliser in Manitoba. They're like, guys, calm down. We're in the prairies. Chill. Well, <laughs> it, 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 is, I mean, it is probably a violation of the... Uh, of the, I want to call it the Trans-Pacific Trade Agreement. The U.S. Partnership. The the U.S. Partnership. Mm -hmm. I mean, for all the reasons that we said it was stupid for Saskatchewan to ban Albertan trucks from entering Saskatchewan job sites. It's, I mean, this is equally stupid, but it is, I mean, Notley Notley is doing this on purpose, knowing it is stupid because it, because as you say, it's, it's for, it's it's for the public. It's for public consumption. And also, yeah, and also to, to, to force the hand of the federal government, you know, she'll escalate this. Now, Horgan's saying he won't escalate it, but Notley will continue to escalate this. Notley cannot let this turn into a uh, stalemate mm. just to keep ramping up the pressure, getting more headlines, and forcing the federal government to actually come in and do something. Again, the federal government, a couple of things. Horgan's done nothing at this point. He's done nothing illegal that they can fight him on. Also... The you know Notley um, doesn't really care about the liberal votes in BC federally, but of course Trudeau does care about the federal votes for the Liberal Party yeah. in BC. So you've got these things. So you get these competing interests. But Notley, the time is not on her side. I've talked to some legal people who said, look, you know, it's clear Alberta will win this. You know, the the pipeline, according to the the federal government, will get built. But Notley doesn't want it built in two or three years from now. She needs it under construction now. She needs the construction to begin this year because she's into an election just over a year from now. Needs that to actually have a chance of surviving this election next year. She has to get this pipeline under construction this year. Paula, further to your point there, I was talking with some bureaucrats about 
um, whether it's in contravention of the New West Trade Agreement. So basically, yes, it can be. And I asked Notley about that. And I said, you know, you you guys kicked up a, a stink when Saskatchewan had their license plate when we had that whole brouhaha. And the trade minister, Darren Billis, kept going on about the $5 million fines that Saskatchewan could be facing as a result. And I said, are you willing to stomach the risk of $5 million worth of fines being contravention of the New West? And she's like, yep. Well, she said because right now... <laughs> it's a very we're, simple we're, answer, yep. We are being hit by, she said, a $1.5 billion a year yeah. hit to our selling oil. Right now, we're, we're trapped selling oil to the U.S. If we can get more of our oil to uh, international markets, we don't get the bitumen bubble, as Alison Redford called it. And that is worth, according to uh, Notley, $1.5 billion a year. So $5 million slap on the wrist is nothing. Yeah, peanuts. To get the pipeline built. But, you know, I mean, this just shows how completely ridiculous. I mean, we're we're a country. Mm-hmm. We are one we're not like a loose confederation yeah. of city states. I mean, this isn't this isn't, you know, uh classical Greece. We're supposed to, we're supposed to be a country. We're supposed to have one economic interest. I mean, we're, we're busy trying to uh, negotiate new terms of NAFTA and a free trade deal with Great Britain and, you know, a, we're signing free trade deals left, right and center. The fact that we cannot get it together as a country that you know, it is in the national interest to build a pipeline, and it's in the national interest to not have like ridiculous. I mean, it's fine. I don't drink BC wine. What happens if this summer I can't get my BC cherries or my BC apples or my BC apricots? Then I'm going to be ticked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's a very good point, Paula. It's it's it blows my mind again and again how many times this happens in Canada. It's kind of... But the question is who's responsible, and the answer seems to be Trudeau. It's up to him to, to prove what Paul is saying. Yeah. That we're not a nation of city-states, that we, in fact, are a confederation, and we work under a constitution which gives powers to the federal government on trans-provincial pipelines yeah. and things like that. Also, I think also Oregon's talking about um, limiting uh, rail shipment of bitumen as well. So all of a sudden, what, you know, what, what's next? You know, to limit what we can bring on on highways to the west yes, coast. Yes, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is absurd. And if we heard about some other country doing this, I mean, if this were Australia or the United States, or we would mock them. We would mock them unmercifully. As a dual citizen, that's kind of what I feel like I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I I I share the premier's frustration. I think this is actually pretty clever. I think she probably has more public support in Alberta than she's had for a long time. Mm-hmm. And agree. even Jason Kenney was backed into the point where he had to sort of grudgingly tweet, I agree with the Premier's wine boycott. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it feels I, yucky and I don't want it, <laughs> but I agree with right, it. Right. So, so you know, the, 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 the United Conservative Party is left with saying, well, we, we, you should have done, we, yeah, yeah, you're, we are doing the right thing, just like we told you you should have ought to have done sooner. Um you know, so it's it's been a rough little time for Jason Kenney. <laughs> On the issue of, of escalation, though, there's of course the, the so-called nuclear option um, is turning off the taps, the oil taps to the West Coast. Now, of course, Kenney is saying, uh, let's just turn off the taps and stop the export of oil because BC gets most of its uh, like petroleum and things like that um, thanks to Alberta oil. Now... Notley has before said no, because um, A, it's going to hurt Alberta doing that. The producers wouldn't stand for it. They'd be losing money. But it seems that that is uh, an issue that maybe they're talking about quietly behind closed doors. They'd need the support of the oil companies, you know, the, the producers, to actually you know, to do that. Like she, she, like she could do it. She shouldn't be doing it. 
should need the oil companies to say, yeah, you know, we're going to stop shipment of oil to um, BC for a week or two. Let the Western bastards freeze in the dark. Exactly. See, Graham, Graham and I are old enough to remember when that was actually a thing. When when, Pe- when Peter Lougheed uh, threatened to cut off oil shipments to the east, and we all had T-shirts that said, "Let the Eastern bastards freeze in the dark." And um, yeah, uh, another example of how Canada is an immensely dysfunctional national conglomeration. We missed the perfect segue there, though. When you're talking about the UCP and Jason Kenney. Yeah. So let's move over to that. Uh, the resignation of Don McIntyre, the MLA for Sylvan Lake Innisfail. He resigned last week, sent out a brief tweet saying, I'm leaving political life to spend more time with my family. Wasn't it, Clancy? Mm, yeah. And it just said, hi, folks, resigning from politics today to focus on our family. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Um, and that was about, uh, we got the news that he was resigning at about 4 p.m. on Friday. <laughs> um, late in the afternoon, yeah. things always break late for journalists. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it was a very sudden move. Um, and the UCP sent out a one-sentence press release saying he's resigned and that they weren't commenting uh, further. It was cryptic, to say the least. Yeah, it was a very strange thing. And now, of course, we can talk about it because... Can a I bit about pub- it. We can talk a little bit about it because the publication ban has been lifted today. Yeah, there was a today. ban on his, his name. He's, he's been charged uh, with sexual assault, and there was a ban on his name being mentioned last week, so we couldn't talk about that. The ban has been lifted on Friday morning. So now what we can say is he's been charged with sexual assault, and that, sexual interference. That would seem to be the reason why he suddenly quit politics last Friday and the reason the UCP, um, I think, is glad to have him gone. It was a very interesting circumstance, though, because the publication ban, there is usually a publication ban, I mean, not, I mean almost always a publication ban, on, the, on any information that could identify a, mm. co- a complainant, a victim of a sexual assault. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, a publication ban was applied. And it wasn't just the media that applied to have the publication ban lifted. In what I think is maybe an unprecedented case, the Crown uh, also applied to have the publication ban lifted. As have UCP. And so lawyers. that's really interesting. And it, and it begs a really interesting question because in Canadian law, it's really important that we do protect the privacy of sexual assault complainants. It's, it's black letter law in, the rape, in, the, in our rape shield legislation. At the same time, when a sitting politician faces an accusation of sexual assault, the well, public, charge, the, the, yeah, you know, not just yeah, not just an allegation, but you know, criminal charges. That, I mean, this has risen to the level where both the police and the crown feel that charges are uh, have a reasonable likelihood of conviction. Uh, then I think there's a pretty strong argument that the public has the right to know that you know, Mr. McIntyre didn't just leave to, you know, take up oil painting. Well, just to put this out there, multiple, everyone in the press gallery did reach out to try to get comment from McIntyre and no one has heard from him. So, you know, I mean, a a man is innocent until proven guilty. As I say, they don't lay charges unless the Crown believes there is what they call a reasonable likelihood of conviction. That's that's the threshold. You can't just go charging people willy-nilly. That said, uh, these are allegations. These are charges. Uh, There is no conviction. But I do think that the public has a right to know if a sitting MLA is facing criminal charges of this gravity. I mean, this goes way beyond Derek Fildebrand bagging a deer on private property or bumping somebody's car in the parkade. Uh, these are 
this, this is a, a, a case it's where serious I think, charges. yeah, very serious. Yeah, and also Graham, it got, goes to the issue. Sorry, of him actually resigning from politics. Yeah, altogether. So it's a big question. Why did he do this? And you know, we were told we couldn't explain why. Now we can. Graham, what do you think politically this might mean for the UCP? Anything well, for the UCP the, or Jason Kenney? No, I think you know, that they're cutting ties. You know, if, if you're right, if there's UCP lawyers in the courtroom or arguing arguing against that publication ban, having it lifted, in other words, they want uh, McIntyre's name out there too. So they're, they're cutting all ties with this guy. And the charges um, have nothing to do, as far as we know, with the UCP. This is something separate from the UCP, and, and, and they are, they're, they're cutting ties, so they want this guy gone as yeah. much as anybody else. I mean, they're saying, saying th- th- I believe the allegations stem from a time before Mr. McIntyre was, in fact, an MLA. Yeah. And it means we will be having a by-election in Innisfail, Sylvan Lake within yes, the next does. six months. So we'll keep tuned on that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be following both of those things. Let's move over to um, Derek Fildebrand, of course. Last Friday was found guilty in his hunting charges and had a $3,000 fine. The story that you r- reported on last December. Yes. Which, no matter what Derek Fildebrand says, was not leaked to me by justice officials. I, I, had, I had to laugh. People were saying, well, but, but Emma leaked the story because she uh, knew it before everybody else, and then she leaked it. And I'm like, no, journalism. This is, this, is, this, is, this is reporting. This is what we do. We find out information you didn't already know, and we share it with you. Yeah, and Derek knew that, too. Because I called him for comment on this, and he said, how did you get story? And I went, I was doing random court checks on random MLA's names, including NDP MLA's. Including people who've been in trouble before with the courts. Yep. <laughs> and um, yours is the only one that got a hit. So he knew that, and then he still decided to go out and try and tell people that justice officials leaked it. They did not. And which would have been, you know, wholly improper if they had, except they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, so, it's a public, it's a court document. It's not as if they're leaking somebody's tax information. No, I mean, he it's, was... Someone's charged. It's a public, well, it's a public that, charge. Record, yeah, yeah. That's kind of the bizarre. point. Yeah, I got the whole... Yeah. Anywho. Anywho. <laughs> so, as we were recording, I guess, last week or just after we wrapped up and Derek Fildebrand was found guilty in Didsbury Court and hit with a $3,000 fine and the response from Jason Kenney was very, very quick. I suspect and they detailed. had that written in advance, no, just quietly. definitely not. <laughs> so what happened here? I mean, um, you read the Clancy, you read this. No, no. Yeah, I did. Um, no, basically. <laughs> J- nah, J- nah, didn't bother. Uh, Jason Kenney said that uh, basically he had had a 60-minute conversation with Derek Fildebrand in the fall where he had asked him to disclose, uh, with him and Jason Nixon, the House leader, where they had asked uh, Fildebrand to disclose any forthcoming issues. Is there anything and else, Derek? <laughs> he didn't disclose anything, and uh, Kenny said that because of that, because of that failure to disclose at the time, um, that he, uh, that Fildebrand wouldn't be allowed back into the UCP caucus, which is something that everyone had kind of assumed would happen at some point because he is such a supporter of the UCP. What's uh, kind of interesting, though, is that um, Emma's story actually came out in I think it was November, December. It was December. It would okay. have been the last day of session. Last day yeah. of session. Okay, so dece- like early December. December. And um, yeah, it's, I, I think people have kind of, it's begged the question, why did it take a couple of months to, uh, to, to, to announce that Fildebrand wouldn't be allowed back into the caucus, given the fact that this was already on the table, that he was going to be going to court for this charge? Well, but I guess you have to wait and see if exactly. he's guilty. Exactly. You're right. Because what happens if the court threw the charges out for some reason, and then he could say, look, I really was innocent, um, this wasn't really an issue. You should fire me over, basically. Um, that you're right. Paul's right. You got to wait for the court to do its thing, yeah. 
And then when, it, yes, in fact, you are guilty, $3,000 fine, and then they can actually act against him. Yeah, I agree with you, but I just want to, it was saying that it was a failure to disclose, not the actual charge itself, which seemed to be the it issue. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the fact he was found guilty, it was the fact that he didn't tell them about it. But he also says, Graham, there's this other level of intrigue to this whole conversation, where the reason he says he didn't tell them about it was because he was shocked into silence. Because the <laughs> first... Which never happened before with Derek <laughs> Because the first 50 minutes of that conversation was about Jason Kenney saying that Derek Fildebrand will not be allowed to run in his redrawn seat because they want Leela here to run in it instead. Because they wanted to get more women, encourage women to actually run for the, uh, the UCP. Yeah, that's why Derek Fildebrand says he didn't tell him about it. He was just so shocked. Right, and he's climbing the moral high ground because he says this is the leadership of the party interfering in what should be a free and contested nomination, Mm. Uh, that he should have the right to run in in what is effectively his current riding, I mean, in the territory that is his current riding, and that it is inappropriate for the bosses of the party to be interfering with nominations. Now, to which Jason Kenney responded this week rather snarkily that you don't even live in the riding. You live in Calgary. Why would I let somebody who lives in Calgary run in a riding when I could just let the person who's in the riding run in the riding? Um, you did it very well. <laughs> interesting impression of Jason <laughs> Kenney, but okay. Spot on. That's not an impression of what Jason Kenney sounds like. That's an impression of what the press the, release, of the yeah, tone of the like press release. release. It's interesting, you know, how people who are best friends and you know comrades in politics all of a sudden can find ways to bash each other and the thing about um this has been an issue sort of behind the scenes about Derek Filterbrand not actually writing living in writing but living basically in Calgary yeah. I think when he was charged I think that with the the, the hit and run yeah that his was charges actually went to his Calgary it was sent Calgary to his Calgary home. home yeah so this has been an issue it's interesting you know that his own people in a sense former friends are now using that to bash him over the head but it's interesting that yeah he, he's you know he's throwing mud at the UCP of course the people enjoying this the most are the NDP watching these people actually get into the, the gutter and start hitting each other over the head. And what's fascinating is, I mean, because Fildeprant still has a, a cadre of, of support. I mean, he was a high-profile MLA who was at one point running for the leadership himself, or I guess he didn't technically No, he straight. didn't he, in he, the end. But in the was, end, but he was like... He was the attack dog going after uh, Brian Jean. But you're right, Paula. You know, when he, he has, was... So he has, he has supporters who are absolutely. on Twitter denouncing Jason Kenney and saying, I can't believe I supported Jason Kenney. I thought he was going to support grassroots leadership, and now this is top-down, hierarchical, blah, 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 as, frankly, friends, it always is. I think in, in this dogfight, uh, Kenney is a much bigger dog oh, yeah. than Filderbrand for all kinds of reasons. So... It's not going to hurt the Kenny brand. I no, a lot think. of people, I've been actually looking at kind of online reaction through Facebook and that kind of thing. A lot of people, um, like conservative rural Albertans, are incredibly disappointed in Derek Fildebrand. Some of the, like 95% of them that I've seen have been like, you know what, we loved what he did in the ledge. We loved the way he worked and everything he stood for was awesome. But this is just too much. And, you know, no, he's disappointed me. One One person who said they were a big supporter of his said, what, the, what did they say? Derek could tell me the sky was blue now and I'd still want to look up and check myself. <laughs> oh, wow. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, Derek Fildebrand, I guess, is never coming back to the UCP, his beloved UCP. And so where does his political career go from here? Uh, over a cliff. I think that <laughs> he's done. You know, yeah. the thing is, he, he'll sit as an MLA, an independent till the next election, and then good luck running if he wants to run. The thing is, 
First of all, would he join another party? What other party would have this guy? Not that he would actually, I think, like to be with the liberals or the um, NDP. <laughs> the liberals. <laughs> <laughs> or the Alberta party. But exactly. Hey, there you go. That's my answer yeah, right he, there. I mean, he's quite close to Maxime Bernier. and Or I don't know how close they are, but he was he he vehemently supported Bernier's federal well, leadership. Well, he vehemently so. supported Jason Kenney's leadership. Yeah. 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 He's just tainted. You know, you he's, know, he's not trustworthy. He's seen as being very immature, selfish, and thin-skinned. A bit of a bully who's also thin-skinned. His his career is done. Well, he and, can, and he of can course run as an independent, he, but... Yeah. That never goes anywhere. No, and of course, his his real problem is that he came to public attention as Mm -hmm. an ethical watchdog. Yeah, you know, with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and he was you know very righteous about other people's spending habits. And and this is the problem when you set yourself up as a moral arbiter. Um, I worry about this all the time. When you set yourself up as the moral <laughs> arbiter, um, that, then when you fall short of the standards that you've been screeching about for other people, mm. I mean, each one of Fildebrandt's little sins, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not... Individually, they're not that bad. They're not that bad. In- right. Each individual thing taken in and of itself, a different politician could have ridden out. But it's it's the... The, um, the snowball effect. The snowball effect. I'm, I'm making snowballs with my hands. <laughs> it's yeah. You know, it's it's the sedimentary rock. Is it layers and layers and layers? Um, uh, it, he, and he looks rather than just looking unethical, he looks ridiculous. And there's nothing more dangerous to a politician's uh, shelf life than to be an object of ridicule. Yep. All right. On that note, let's move to our regular segment. Good stuff from the gallery. Accretions. That was the word I was looking for. <laughs> Accretions. We got there in the end. Um, yeah, good stuff in which we recommend things that uh, we've read or seen or listened to lately that we reckon you might also like. Clancy, what you got for us, mate? Sure. I will recommend a piece uh, that I really enjoyed this week from BBC. It's um, like a multimedia project with really cool graphic art. Um, it's fairly depressing, but important to read, I think. It's called, the headline is Made Up to Look Beautiful, Sent Out to Die. And it's about the rise of um, female suicide bombers by the Boko Haram um, oh, wow. and how that's escalated to an extreme degree since 2014, since the um, kidnapping the you know that has been reported over and over again you of see, the hundreds of girls. Boko Haram has really kind of fallen off the news radar. Yeah. Um, but in Nigeria, in northeastern Nigeria especially, they're still doing um, suicide bombers bombings in, in that part of the country on a fairly regular basis. Brutal. Yeah. Um, Paula, what do you have for us? I am going to recommend um, a podcast series I've been listening to uh, by Malcolm Gladwell, who's the Canadian New Yorker writer, um, who has, he's the guy who wrote The Tipping Point and a bunch of other books that were famous. Blink. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of all of them. Probably things I've never read according to my track record. (laughs) (laughs) Have you read any of them? I don't read, Graham. (laughs) So he's got got a series called Revisionist History where he looks back at uh, historic events that we think we understand and finds things about them that have been overlooked or misunderstood. And it's really interesting because it's not just a guy talking. I mean, they're little, they're little mini documentaries uh, with high production values. And uh, he's got a lovely, soothing voice to listen to as he explains <laughs> to you what you never understood about Brown versus the Board of Education or the way that Los Angeles taxes its golf courses or any number of very eclectic things that often are political and, hmm. and sometimes not. Nice. So revisionist history. I'm going to recommend something that is not at all political. Actually, yes, it is. The Winter Olympics. Hey-oh. <laughs> Basically, the luge and the, 
don't give me that this look, Graham. Thing, the Olympics. Yeah, because no one is actually promoting the Olympics. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we want to police my good stuff recommendations? Do we? Could I? I think no, you cannot. Mansplaining, Graham. <laughs> this is the patriarchy at work, Graham. <laughs> Wait, is this, is this the point where Graham recommends Ed Struzik's book? <laughs> you've been looking you've been picking at my notes, haven't you? <laughs> I love the luge and the skeleton. And I adore those sports. And, of course, the Winter Olympics just started. I like the Winter Olympics, man. Opening, you know what? Game, and sometimes Australia wins a gold medal because everyone else falls over and then they become a national hero like Steve Bradbury. Oh, right, in uh, short skating. circuit uh, skating. Yeah. I also, I saw the um, Australians actually doing some of the um, moguls last night. Yeah. Yeah, we have, we have. Eventually, Yuri will be the captain of the Australian hockey team. <laughs> I'm so excited for that day. <laughs> uh, okay. okay, so Graham, what do you have for us? <laughs> uh oh. Um, actually, speaking of historical things, a movie, Darkest Hour, is about Winston Churchill. Have you seen it? Anybody I've seen not it? seen it yet. No. Seen it twice. Yeah, I saw it. It's it is. You've seen it twice. Yeah, it's a really well done. He does an amazing job. With Gary Oldman is playing uh, Churchill. Of course, it's 1940 when Churchill actually becomes prime minister. It's over like a space of a, like a few days, basically. Um, it is remarkably well done. Uh, acting is incredible. And so it's up for six or seven, I think, um, uh, Oscars for best picture as well. So it's about uh, Winston Churchill, 1940, becoming prime minister. Exceptionally well done movie. Nice. Thank you guys so much for joining me, Clancy, Paul Simons. Graham Thompson and David Bloom here to film some of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all the previous episodes of the Press Gallery. Do remember to subscribe and rate, give us a rating on, um, I don't know, wherever you listen to it if you want. <laughs> a you good rating. Give us a five good stars. Rating. Five yeah, stars. give us five stars or don't, you know. But if you have any concerns, reach out to me, Emma L. Graney on Twitter or egraney at postmedia.com. Join us this time again next week on the Press Gallery.